Hello, everybody, and welcome to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. Anyway, I have a really interesting researcher in the area of finding jobs and work, and we have such an interesting conversation coming up. It's Dr. Nyla Berry, and just to give you a little bit of her history, because she's so accomplished. Um, she went to Smith, UPenn, and she has a PhD in adult learning and leadership. She was at Columbia University's Dean of Students at the Columbia Business School for 10 years. She co-founded the Leadership Lab, a clearinghouse for leadership activities for MBA and EMBA students. And she leads learning and development for a global medical diagnostics company, teaches and coaches at Columbia's Mailman School of Public Health, Columbia Business School, um, and with the Institute for Personal Leadership. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Nayla, you can find her and her research at www.nayla, N-A-Y-L-A, Barry, B-A-H-R-I.com. And what's wonderful about her is she's really studied uh, women, well, people and work, and what happens when they lose a job. And who are the people who are most resilient, who bounces back, who does not, and why not? And she used the Great Recession as part of her research. And you're not going to believe the really interesting stuff that she uh, has come up with. And I think at the end of the podcast, the most interesting thing is the semantics of using the words job or work and how we treat them and how that meaning can change everything for how you will be successful or not successful. Anyway, I want to welcome Dr. Nayla Barry. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Nayla Barry here, and she is going to tell us all about her fabulous research. Hello, how are you today? Hi, I'm so great. Thanks for having me. Good. It's wonderful to get somebody who's so deep in the research. I'm just so excited because I was shocked to find that you are researching everything that I've been studying through all the people um, who I come across and I'm trying to help. So let's talk, your, the thing that's out there most about you, and obviously that's the lead off, is how you studied career disruption during the Great Recession. So yeah. what were your findings and what was the difference between the people who were resilient and who were not? Sure, sure. Well, um, what I had done for my doctoral research was take a close look at the stories of people who had had kind of the biggest disruption that could happen during the Great Recession, which was layoff. And I was curious about the questions around what would make some people come back from that experience feeling strengthened and feeling capable and feeling connected to their work? And why were some people post that kind of setback really just flattened and unable to get back on their feet. And uh, the nature of my research is qualitative. So that means I spend a lot of time going deep into the stories of the people who I was speaking with. And again, this core question for me was, why are some people coming back from this differently than others? Um, and it's been an interesting thing because even since uh, things have kind of settled economically and things have been growing economically, I still find most of my work as a coach, um, even as a teacher, has a lot to do with this idea of career disruption. And the consistent findings I have come from that original piece of research, that if there's these behaviors that people can practice, they are more likely to come out of any kind of transition differently and better 
um, more successfully having a stronger sense of agency than others. Um, so maybe we can just talk about that. Yeah, go right into it. Absolutely. What is the difference? I mean, because that's what, I mean, so many women and as they get older, they are facing these issues. They're either being pushed out. They feel like they're being pushed out. Yeah. Um, they're being sent to HR. They're being sent to, you know, crappy areas of the company because yeah. people assume they're too old. Yeah. So they, they all, all those things and all those findings are totally relevant. Yeah. And I'll tell you that what I'm seeing for a lot of my clients right now uh, is right now I'm seeing a little less layoff and I'm seeing a lot more kind of reorganization and restructuring. So jobs ah. being, I don't know, minimized, re mm -hmm. reorganized. So mm -hmm. that key components of the work that you thought was yours and that was exciting for you are just stripped away. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're left with odds and ends. Um, mm -hmm. Create its own set of pain. And that might be where we start, which is that, I mean, the first thing I always like to talk about when we mm -hmm. talk about career transition is that there is loss. There is when something mm -hmm. goes away mm -hmm. that meant something to you, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's complete loss because of a layoff or it's just transition that leaves you with a shell of what you thought your role was, there's loss. Mm -hmm. And it's the mm -hmm. end of something. Um, and I think the people I find, and both in my research and in my coaching work, the people who acknowledge that and kind of spend some time letting themselves explore and feel those feelings mm -hmm. and also try to understand what that meant for them and their sense of identity really have much better outcomes. Mm. Um, I think there's a tendency, especially when you are a high achieving woman who has done well and likes to do well and is on that ladder or treadmill or whatever kind of thing suggests momentum. Mm -hmm. The instinct might be when things are disrupted to say, well, I just need to get back to work. Like the thing I have to do is just work harder, you know, either find mm -hmm, something new mm -hmm. to do or let everybody in my network know that I'm available or mm -hmm. prove to them that they were wrong to let go of mm -hmm. me by outperforming and outworking everyone around me. Mm -hmm. And something I have learned both through my research and through all the other work I do is that we have to do a blend of what I call inner work and outer work. Um, the inner work is the acknowledgement, the understanding, the reflection, just the process of figuring out what work means to you in your life, mm -hmm. what you want it to mean at this stage, because that changes. You know, I see that yes. in life, right? Yes, yes. Um, and then what you, how you can start to envision that ideal state for you, your organization, your own work. Um, and I think we tend to rush through that because we feel mm -hmm. like it's not productive. We measure, mm -hmm. of, we measure a lot of productivity by what we can look at at the outside, how many networking conversations I've had, et cetera. And what mm. I really find are the people who thrive are willing to do the inner work, um, which isn't always easy. Mm -hmm. And how do you find that out? How do you, what do you start with when that is happening? How do you mean, do you does mean, that mean therapy? Does that mean, and how do you know if they're willing to do it? Is it like, okay, um, here's your first steps. You've got to go into therapy or what? How yeah, do you what I found actually it? in my research is that, most people back into that inner work and that reflection out of pure exhaustion, right? Ah. When something first happens, the instinct is just, I'm going to get busy figuring out what I'm going to do next. Right. right. So, and I see this with my, even with my friends, right? If something's not good at work, the instinct is like, I got to open LinkedIn up and make right. a list of who I need to reach out to. I need to apply to a hundred jobs the next month. Mm -hmm. um, and what I found in my research is that just burnout led people to say mm -hmm. like, wait, what I'm doing is not working. I mean, mm. not having productive conversations that are leading to the next opportunity or mm. I go to these interviews and I'm bored senseless. And yet I mm. find myself almost addicted to the experience of interviewing. Mm. Um, and then exhaustion brings them to the point where they don't want to get out of bed. 
They mm. cry when they think about mm. and what I found in my research, and this was a surprise to me, um, was that the behavior around reflection, which sometimes looks like journaling, sometimes looks mm -hmm. like prayer, sometimes looks like a long walk in the mm -hmm. woods, mm -hmm. um, is really a second choice, right? It's, it's something you back mm -hmm. into. Mm. Um, I, so that's why the advantage now, I think, when we're having some more of these explicit conversations about resilience in the workplace, mm -hmm. when I think about teaching in a classroom or working with someone privately as a coach is to say, let's start with a practice that has you reflecting. Let's start with something before you even open a conversation about what you want to do next in terms of mm -hmm. action. Let's mm -hmm. talk about how you're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. Think about this most recent role what you feel you miss, what you feel sad about leaving behind, what you're glad is over, because there's always a little bit of that too. Um, and let's start pulling that apart and figuring out what that tells you about you and what mm. that tells you about your relationship with work. Um, I think that's one of the big benefits of being in a community like yours, um, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. having a career group, maybe a therapist, mm -hmm. certainly mm -hmm. a coach, mm -hmm. anyone mm -hmm. in your life who just helps you press the pause button, mm -hmm. even briefly to say, okay, before you get back out there, mm. What are you looking for? Mm. And give me what, what those things might look like. I mean, the obvious things are meditation, but beyond that, what works that people could listening could actually just jump in and do? Sure. So, I mean, I found this through some of the people I research and also through some trial and error with my own clients. I like to have people think of themselves as their primary data source for their own career mapping. Um, so I say to people, let's start by putting the pause button on and let's look backwards for the last seven to 10 years and create a sense of what in your professional life and in your personal life has brought you great joy, great flow, great satisfaction, great productivity. And what in those seven to 10 years has made you feel exhausted, drained, bitter. Uh, let's start excavating our own history and figure out what that starts to tell us from a pattern point of view. Uh, I'm shocked by the number of people who say, oh my God, I've never done that. I've never, no, really, I've, I've never heard of that. Oh yeah. So I think it's really, really powerful just to stop and say, okay, if I look back, create a timeline of my own. History. Create a timeline. Okay. Yeah. So that's a really practical tool. I have most of my clients do in the first um, one or two sessions and say, let's just stop and take a look backwards. Wow. There's great data and there's great insights in there. I'm really happy when mm. I'm leading a team of creative people. I'm really distressed when I am in a situation that's ambiguous. I mean, who knows, but mm -hmm. only you can know that because it's, mm -hmm. it's your life. So what I so think you about- make it, you make them actually sit down and write down a timeline of these correct. things. Yeah, okay, I, so that's, I use, use with my clients um, that helps them visualize it. And you oh. know, I put like a horizon line and say, okay, when you, what would you put above the horizon? Because it meets these criteria of creating flow, productivity, good feelings, just all those good juicy feelings. And then mm -hmm. what would you put below the line? Because you knew you dragged your feet through it and you went home feeling depleted at the end of the day. Mm. And we get to start seeing patterns and that's really informative. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's a practical tip anybody can do. And I don't, yes. I, don't, I think that that's something that we can do with a you know, piece of paper and a pen. I don't think you need yes. a ton of resources right. to do that. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's perfect. Yeah. Good. good. Okay. We start there. And then where do you go from that? And where are you finding... What are you finding? What are people doing after they go through some kind of reflection? Yeah. And what are you yeah. seeing as trends, especially, obviously, um, the Covey woman is 40 plus. Mm -hmm. She's not a baby. She's been around a bit. She may have taken a career pause here and there. She may have 
um, toned down her work because of children or taking care of an elder. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, yeah, I get that. So I think what we start with is this, you know, I've given you one example of how we determine uh, what we want, right? right? And what the gaps might be in what we're doing with our time now, uh, what our history is, what our experience is. And the next step is to figure out, well, if that's what I, if I can start to answer the question of what I want, what I love to do, where I add a lot of value, what excites me, I got to start. The next place we have to look is how do I get there? How do I start to take incremental steps that create momentum to get me from where I am now to where I envision I want to be? Um, and there's a lot that, I mean, it's, it's one thing to map out your work history and start to get the signals. It's another thing to spend some time visioning Mm-hmm. and really creating an idea for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and some mm-hmm. of that comes from sitting alone with your journal or you know, looking out over your backyard and, and envisioning your life in five, 10, or 15 years. Some of it happens through talking with people and figuring out the other stories that are out there about how people reinvent, change their lives, add to their current portfolio, make a slight pivot. You know, not every transition is radical. Correct. Exactly. Um, And I think we need to get, I'm a big, I say all the time, we need to get data into the system. So we start with our own personal data and then we go out and start talking to people about Mm. what their stories are. And I think that's another thing that people who are really successful through transitions do that others don't is they are willing to open up the conversation to include other people and expose Mm -hmm. in themselves that they are dreaming and that they might need some inspiration. Um, I think there's still kind of a narrative that we carry that this is kind of a solo experience and we have to just put your head down and work really hard to figure it out. But I don't, I think especially women, we learn in community, we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of value for having a group of people that just run ideas past and have them reflect back to you how they see you shining. Um, mm-hmm. That's something else that's actually a very practical behavior that comes out of my research, which is that people who thrive post-disruption really take the time to network differently and to talk to people who they know, who they've worked with, who are good friends, who are in their communities and ask them those questions. How do you see me at my best? Mm. What am I doing when I am adding a ton of value? Why do you call me? When when do you seek my advice? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that people who thrive are doing routinely. They're willing to say like, I don't have all the answers. I need some, I need to see myself through your eyes. Mm. So that's something that I also direct people to do. And that I see people who are succeeding through, difficult career moments doing. Mm. Um, And then call friends and actually you're actually saying to actually call friends and say that. Yeah. In fact, one, you know, through my eyes, through your eyes. I am saying that. And something that I, you know, I was doing this research right when I was leaving um, almost a 20 year career at um, a business school to kind of figure out what I wanted to do next. And it was something I was hearing in my own, the people I was studying and I was like borrowing that right away saying, okay, well, you're telling me that something that helped you get back on your feet post layoff was calling people up and saying, I'm, I have a blind spot around where I really add value. I'm starting to feel like my own work history is generic. And I wonder if you can't offer me a little more specific insight about what I am doing really well. And someone said that to me in an interview and I was like, huh, that sounds really mm, familiar. Mm. And I started calling a couple of friends of mine, one of whom I worked with. And I said, I start, I'm starting to feel like I can't even tell my own story. I don't even really know mm-hmm. what makes mm-hmm. me great at this job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's super vulnerable making. Yes. you like, yeah. hey, not only do I need your insight, but I need it because I don't, I don't really know how to talk about what I'm proud of. Yes. Is that female particular? I think that's just a perspective problem we all have. I saw it in both men and women. 
in my you did. study. Okay. Uh-huh. And I see it now. Okay. I mean, I, I got off the phone with a client this morning and that's one of the things that I've been working on with him is to help to get that out of that isolation of feeling like I have to have every answer by myself. I have to be my own best evaluator. Mm. And I mean, I do think that we should have, we have a responsibility to understand our own work history, our strengths, the things that we love mm-hmm. to do. Really, mm-hmm. we need to know that. But mm-hmm. I don't think we have to do it locked up in our office by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, yeah, I tell people and I do it myself still. I, I will mm-hmm. call friends or people who I've collaborated with or worked with mm-hmm. in the past and say, now that that project's over, mm-hmm. tell me what was unique about how I helped you or how I performed during this piece of work. Because um, it helps round out the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are doing that. So again, I, I think about data gathering. Um, mm-hmm. I think about our own work history as our primary source of data. I think about asking trusted collaborators. And sometimes those aren't people who only have great things to say about you, by the way. Right. Um, right. But people who you think have constructive things to offer you. Right. They're not, right. They're not caught up in some petty drama. Right. But to build that composite story, I think that's part of what you want to do, both about what you're great at and where, uh, what the world needs right now. Mm. And then I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of putting things out into the world through action. So mm-hmm. I like, you know, I said earlier that I think the process of reinvention is a blend of inner and outer work. Uh, mm-hmm. And so while we want to gather data and try to make sense of the data, then we got to start putting it into the world mm-hmm. and figure out what we're going to do. And I generally start most of my clients and people I talk to, even friends, um, with this kind of working equation that I use mm. to think about your first step. And I always say, think about the time that you are able to devote to your career and planning. That might be two hours or three hours if you're working right now. It might be 30 hours if you're mm-hmm. not working right now. Mm-hmm. And think about dividing it into a third, a third, and a third as a starting point. And the first third, you should think about applying for appropriate work to get your foot in the door, to start getting a sense of what's happening in the job market that might interest you. That might mean looking through postings on LinkedIn or elsewhere and starting to get a sense of what really excites you and getting your resume together and putting it out there and just building momentum. I think there's a lot of value in that self-efficacy of like, I'm doing something, I'm just moving forward. So that's called self-efficacy, the first third or what? No, self-efficacy is the experience of feeling more confident about doing something because you've done something already. So what is that first third? I think I call it applying for appropriate work, right? And I I say that because there are people and I, I, yeah, as opposed to being one of those people who just applies for everything. Yes. So you're looking for postings on LinkedIn. What else are you doing? Postings on LinkedIn, I think applying for appropriate work is primarily looking at what's available online on the job boards and in companies that you're excited about. So most of us have a list of a couple of places. And this, if you don't, then I would say go back to the reflection period, the inner work, Mm -hmm. and start figuring out, Mm -hmm. like, what are the companies Mm -hmm. I'm excited by? Mm -hmm. Like, who can I not keep my eyes off in the news? Mm -hmm. That starts to give you data. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I don't want you spending 100% of your time applying for jobs. I see. I see. I see. Okay. I get and that's it. That's my point is you have to confine. If you're going to work three hours I get it. a week on your job search, then no more than an hour to start with Okay. applying for jobs. The okay. second thing I think you need to be doing is really strategic, intelligent network, which means not just contacting every person you've ever worked with, but okay. having a point of view of what you need to learn. Is it about an industry? Is it about how someone made their own career pivot? Is it about how you might transfer your skill set from a media role into something that's in more traditional publishing. I mean, what is it that you don't know and who can help you figure that out in your network? So really pointed, purposeful, outcome-driven networking. 
And the third piece of work I recommend to everyone is making work, doing something that leverages your skills, helps you learn something new and that contributes to the world. And like I said, this is my starting equation. I say to everyone, think about a third, a third, and a third. And then we're going to start putting things out there and start testing. And if I find that I'm applying for jobs and nothing is happening. Yes, because that happens a lot. Yeah, that happens most of the time. I hate to say it. Like, you know, and I'm not a recruiter, but every recruiter I talk to is like overwhelmed because it's so easy to apply for a job now. I barely have to think about it. Yes, correct. I barely have to think. I just hit submit and I've done it. So most people will especially if they are someone who is over 40 seasoned, has experience under their belt, mm-hmm. they will find over the weeks that that first third shrinks, maybe becomes a fourth, maybe it becomes a fifth of their time in favor of spending more time mm-hmm. intelligently networking and making work. Um, so that's how I, st- when we talk about getting out of the inner work into outer work, I like to provide that equation just say this is yours it's like think of it like a slide rule mm-hmm. and you get to over time week by week test am i getting responses from mm-hmm. applying for jobs okay it's not working two three four weeks then i'm mm-hmm. going to reduce the number of time i spend on that i'm going to grow the amount of time i spend on something else what about what's happening today which i hear from i hear from young and from old is that you know it, it's all governed by algorithms now and it may have <laughs> nothing to do with you and you can't even get to a person to talk to you. In that first third and they're applying for jobs. Yeah, just yeah, I, mean, like, I hear that too. It, so what is your suggestion for getting through that? It's a mess. I think this, I mean, the signal that sends me is that we should have that be less than a third by three, four, five weeks. I think if you're really junior in the job search, right. that might be more helpful. I think the more specific your skills are and the more specific your desires are for what great work would be, the less time you're going to spend on that first third. Yeah, the whole machinery around the bots and what's happening in the technical side of job applications. It's yes. It's, it's a, someone I'm sure there are people doing a lot of work on that right now. Um, it's deeply discouraging for most people I talk to. And most people will say appropriate work comes my way through people I know and yeah, through, that's uh, my personal network. And isn't it like eighty five percent of the time now it's all by word of mouth? Because yeah. I think because of the barriers created by tech, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's other reasons too, but that's gotta be one of the big ones. Um and I also think part of the the thing that I see is like the loss of stamina around the job search. Uh, There's no feedback in that. I think one of the most heartbreaking things about that first third applying for jobs is that not only are you throwing things out there over and over, you're getting almost nothing back. Uh, So talk about, you know, the feedback loop and having a sense of like, am I doing something wrong? uh, There's no real learning. When you go to network, you have a, you have a hope of learning something. I see. I see. And I think that's motivating. That builds that self-efficacy we talked about. Uh Uh-huh. So I, 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 for most of the people I work with, and I think that you talk to, you're, you're, so maybe we would say to the Covey membership that starting yeah. that equation would be a fifth of applying for appropriate work and the balance of your time is distributed between appropriate networking and making work. And and I so think, balance yeah. of time, say it again, is? I would probably say maybe a fifth of your time should be spent. Right. Applying, applying the balance of your time. Now, so okay. making work, so the way I think about making work, is for a lot of the people I know who have been laid off or who have been downsized or who have found their job to be nearly stripped down to nothing of meaning. Yes. yes. They still have things they think they can do in the world. They want to be doing in the world. Okay. Someone said to me when I was starting my transformation of my own years ago, before you leave, start finding out from people 
what they would be willing to pay you for. And you can start by offering your services for free. Mm-hmm. Just for a couple of weeks or months, figure out if people are willing to say yes to you. Mm-hmm. You build your confidence, you build mm-hmm. your experience, and you build your your little bank of, of success stories in this particular thing. And for mm-hmm. me, it was having the opportunity to teach because I hadn't done it in my old role till the very end and I wanted to be doing more of it. Mm. So I called a couple of people I knew elsewhere in the university uh, mm. and elsewhere in other organizations and said, listen, if you want someone to come in, guest lecture on this topic that mm-hmm. I study mm-hmm. or facilitate a couple of weeks while you're at a conference, I want to mm-hmm. do it. I put, put mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. consider me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for probably a semester's worth of basically free teaching mm-hmm. for friends and for colleagues mm-hmm. for a couple mm-hmm. of networks that I knew and said, I just want to do it. I want the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to be sure that this is something I think I want. Like I say, I mm-hmm. want, but let me mm-hmm. go out there and find out. Mm-hmm. And I say that to everyone I work with, that we should spend some of our time making work. So maybe that looks like volunteering. Maybe it looks like consulting. Maybe it looks like mm-hmm. finding a purposeful project. Mm-hmm. at an organization that you're affiliated with or that you could be affiliated with. And I find that, I mean, it answers one of the big questions a lot of my clients have, which is like, mm-hmm. how much does it pay my bills if I don't have work right now? Mm-hmm. So making work often looks like a consulting project or it looks mm-hmm. like pitches mm-hmm. and advisory services. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it also continues to bring you more data. So mm-hmm. you have more ideas, you have a better sense of whether or not that thing you think you want is something you're really good at. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the members of Cubby, that might be something that they could spend more time thinking about. Mm. Oh, it's you know, great. How yeah. do you think about taking all the skills you've learned in your 20 plus years of work mm-hmm. and creating value for mm-hmm. a team, an organization, a company who needs you? And maybe they can't afford you full time, but it allows you to get your feet wet. It allows you to be of service and it allows you to get more feedback into your own uh, decision-making process. Right. And that's one of the most important things. I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Talk a little bit about resilience and disruption in specific and how one bounces back from that. I mean, there's a mindset obviously that has to do with what becomes successful and what doesn't. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, the way I would, I talk about resilience in, in that same framework of its inner and outer work, right? So building your capacity to stand up Mm -hmm. and things have been shifting around you is a combination of recognizing that there's loss and that you also have still have desires and that you get to have agency over those desires. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I do see, and I do see this a little differently with women than I do with men, okay. is that there is a little bit of a abandonment of, of control when it comes to work. So I think that a lot of us mm-hmm. have been conditioned to look for permission mm-hmm. to be promoted, to be ready for something mm-hmm. else, to be added to a new kind of project, to be, able to lead something and we and there are habits I observe with women who I study and who I work with that are a little more yielding than mm-hmm. um, men so one of the word one of the places I, I think women should be putting their energy right now is to ask themselves if they are ready now or how ready they need to be and I'll mm-hmm. give you an example when I studied layoff and I asked people what was the first thing you thought you would do when you lost your job professionally? Mm-hmm. Most of the men, all of the men said, I'm going to consult. 
Okay. I'm going to put myself back out there. I'm actually, many of them said, I'm going to go back to the organization I just left oh, and okay. offer my services okay. uh, on a part-time basis or whatever. I'm, I'm going to go back and offer that skill I have to my organization. Wow. The women said, um, I have to go back to school. Mm. I probably should get certified in something mm-hmm. and then take a consulting skills course. Mm. And then I will think about offering my value to somebody. Mm. And it was striking. It was a hundred percent of the women were like, I, wow. I, and I thought that was, there was no reason that should have been because from an experience and an education level, the, the, the group of people I was studying were really, really comparable. They all had 10 years of professional experience. They all had a college degree. Most of them had a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. So there was nothing in their traditional resume that would have made that necessary. It was mm-hmm. all about their belief about being mm-hmm. ready uh, mm-hmm. versus needing someone to validate them. Right. And I, and mm-hmm. even if you look in the literature and you look at a lot of the voices talking about women and their careers, there's, there's this, this is a phenomenon that we see. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, I sometimes say is the difference between seeking counsel and seeking permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who are resilient know that there's really not a lot of time to ask for permission. That, mm-hmm. that feeling of being ready is pretty much always around the corner. And if you think about your own career, mm-hmm. you think about what you're doing now, you think mm-hmm. about the story mm-hmm. of the women who you talk to on this mm-hmm. podcast, mm-hmm. many of them, you know, a common theme is there mm-hmm. came a point where I just had to put one foot in front of the other. Even mm-hmm. if I was nervous. Mm-hmm. I feel afraid. I have to live with the fear and take it with me on this path. Otherwise, I'm going to be waiting a long, long time. Um, Correct. I do see that there is men either don't acknowledge the fear, don't accept the fear, or just kind of look right. at the fear in the face and they're like, forget it. I got to go anyway. I don't have time. Right, right, right. Um, right. So thinking about building resilience, I think kind of changing our relationship with fear is a big part of it. Learning right. that you know, fear will be with us and we don't have to wait till it, it's gone. Um, right. In order for us to take at least one step forward and then another step forward, another step forward. Um, so that's a, that's a big piece about, for me, about building your stamina through these times. I have a theory when I see friends who've been tremendously successful, let go, or they can't get back in, or they're um, devastated, you know, when they're downsized or whatever. Have we somehow taken on that same problem that men had all along where they, they made too much of their identity about their work. Mm. I mean, mm. if we, you know, this is really the first cohort to work full time and, you know, and to be that, you know, that invested in, you know, we were told to have a career and you should be yeah. somebody and all that. And I see, I wonder if we get the backlash part of it is that, yeah, but then it eats up your identity as well. Yeah. I think and there's now a lot in there. Okay. Yeah, I do. And I think, I mean, that's why I'm, I generally, like, I never talk about, well, not never, but I rarely talk about jobs. I talk about work a lot because your work, uh, I, I've learned to see work as something that we carry with us. The okay. work that I do in the world is, is what I do. I can do it in the context of a business school, in the context of a company, in the context of my own practice. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I think that is a, it's a semantic change, but I think it represents mm. a, a identity change too, to say, is it about this job? Because uh-huh. if I lost my job and my identity uh-huh. and my job are the same, then I feel like I've lost my identity. My uh-huh. work, if my work comes with me. If the work I do in the world, if the work you do in the world is really Leslie's portfolio, Nyla's portfolio, right. Right. not to right. the company that I left, then I have a better chance of, of having that mentality of, 
this is my, the thing that I do, the way that I solve problems, the way I create opportunities, the way I lead people. And I'm looking for the right place to explore that and to use that as opposed to waiting for like a kind of a Nyla shaped puzzle piece. Right. And I think that's, that's a mindset. really interesting. Yeah. But I think that's, you know, if I think about my parents, if I think about the generation before us, I think it was a lot about the job, right? Like us all taking our stuff and trying to fit it into a box somebody else created. Right. And Waiting think, for a box to show, finding that box that fits us rather correct, than. Which, you know, and that's what, I think that's what breaks our hearts, honestly, is because I think also, you know, you add layer on to this conversation, the time we live in where being our most true selves is so valued and there's so many vehicles and channels to explore that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that what's changing is that mindset from saying, I go from looking for a place that needs me to finding a place where I can contribute and add value. So I, I carry the work with me. The work belongs to me. And it's my job then to develop my skills and learn how to tell my story and continue to be as useful and relevant to the world as possible. But it also means that how I express the work I do in the world might take many different forms. I love that. I think that's huge. I, I think too. changing, <laughs> I think that's like the biggest I think that's the biggest thing I've heard in a long time is how we think about it. Cause I think um, too many of us think uh, about the job as giving us permission that's right. to be ourselves when in yeah. reality, you're right, that you are taking all of that. And, and maybe that's what the millennials have, right? Is, is they yeah. don't look for the job to do as much as we are irritated by them, not being that's so funny, know, loyal and all that stuff. In many ways, I think maybe they, they realize that they are taking that with it. They are carrying that. They're like the snail. Yeah. They've got the whole thing on their back. And yeah. So wonderful. I, this is incredible stuff. Oh. Were you going to say something else? No, so I love that you just drew that comparison to the millennials because I hadn't thought about it. But when, when I, now that I, you say this, I'm thinking, yeah, like the idea of defying a definition, yeah. which sometimes we can find like, what are you talking about? You don't know. But then truly maybe they do know. Um, yeah, I think they the, watched us and I think they watched yeah. all the pain we went through Yeah, and yeah. they don't want to be like that. Yeah. And I think that's maybe like the greatest gift we can give to, you know, women who are 20, 25, 30 years into their work lives to say, after all this time, you are the composite of all of your training and your education and your key experiences and your skills and the unique imprint that you bring to the work you do. And you get to package it and you get to tell so the story. Yeah, I love that. Very different. That's awesome. Well, Nyla, this has been absolutely incredibly amazing. I, I'm not even going to ask you for your tips and tricks because you've given us like 10 of them. As oh, we I'm so glad. So awesome. I'm also going to say to you, you should do a coffee and conversation with Covey where we can actually do this live and you can. I would love to talk to some women because I, I just see so many women out there who are struggling with this. Where am I going to get permission? I also think it's interesting. You're talking about burnout. I don't think anybody's aware of the burnout problem that goes on with looking for a job. Oh I yeah. I just posted an article on my LinkedIn profile about this that came out of HBR and it's, you know, it broke my heart because, um, and I was, I wrote in the comment that I added to the article that, just last week, um, someone called me after, um, you know, I've kind of been in, he and I have been in the same orbit for a long time, but mm -hmm. he was like, I need help because I just took a job or I took a job four months ago that I never should have taken, but I was so mm -hmm. tired of looking mm -hmm. that I just said yes. And now I have to leave. So I think mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. the end, all the things we talked about, about resilience and, and mm -hmm. capacity 
to figure out who you are and what you want. You need it when you when work breaks your heart and you make that change. And you also need it as you're figuring out what's next. It's a long path, especially now the you know the world of work and jobs has changed yes. so much. Yes, uh, it's a long path. Yes, and I and I I see a lot of that. I see people taking the wrong jobs because they're tired of looking and because they're they're they need the money. Yeah. And then they're done in a year or they took a yeah, job in an equally disruptive area. So yeah. you're awesome. Thank oh, you so thank much. You. You're awesome. Thank this you for giving great. Us a platform to have this conversation. Awesome. We'll talk to you. All right. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this talk with Dr. Nayla Barry, and I hope you enjoyed picking up those fabulous tips and tricks, which are so amazing. And I hope you will come back and listen to more inspiration or actual techniques for reinventing yourself on the podcast. If you like reinvent yourself, please give us a rating and some stars. That is the only way that we get moved up so other people can find us and please become a subscriber. And if you're interested in meeting other interesting people like yourself, in particular women like yourself who are accomplished, smart, and really kicking it, uh, come to coveyclub.com and see all our different offerings. We have wonderful content, uh, wonderful journalism, and a fabulous Covey Connect app where you can geolocate interesting women near you to make new connections to through either work or business or both. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this and you will join us again at Reinvent Yourself. Take care.